Welcome to Finding Proof, where we discuss all things early stage VC. We're your hosts, Thanasis and Jenny of the Proof Fund, and our goal is to get to know the best seed and early stage VCs out there. In this episode, we get to know Lu Zhang, who is a serial entrepreneur, and she's also the founder and managing partner of the Fusion Fund, which is a Silicon Valley-based seed and early stage investor. I think you're going to enjoy learning about Lou and her optimism as she backs founders who are focused on using technical advantages or data advantages to provide new solutions in healthcare space, enterprise, or industrial automation. Lou, thanks for joining us today. It's a pleasure to have you on our podcast. I wanted to start off with you telling us a little more about Fusion Fund and how you came up with it and then the strategy behind it. Great. Thank you for having me. It's really a pleasure to be part of this awesome podcast. I'm Lou. I'm the founder and managing partner of Fusion Fund. So I launched and started Fusion Fund back in 2015. So we're definitely a startup within the VC industry. So far, we have a close to $300 million under management. And early this year, I just launched the latest Fund 3, flagship Fund 3, which is the $120 million new fund. We feel very lucky in terms of timing because a couple months after the fund, the close of the fund three, you know, market crash. So lots of the capital paused in terms of deployment, but we're still super active investing in the market with lots of dry powder. And in terms of the sector focus, uh, we mainly focus on deep tech and healthcare and also cover the whole United States. The whole team is headquartered in Palo Alto. So we're a Silicon Valley based firm, but we're not limited into this. We call it small, beautiful bubble in Palo Alto, Silicon Valley. We really look at and support founder across the nation. And within deep tech and healthcare, we're really strong and also passionate about AI in healthcare and solution related to mental disease and the digital life science and digital therapeutics and was in the deep tech sector, network security and edge computing, apply AI, other area we deploy lots of capital. And we also prefer to lead around. So we try to stay very close with the founder, be their supporter, not only on the financial side, but also in terms of strategic and the connection into the industry. In terms of the starting story of the fund, that's my favorite piece to share the story. I have a typical or maybe not that typical journey came into VC, the other side of table. I started off as an international uh, graduate school student at Stanford. I was born and raised in the Mongolian. So I'm a Mongolian, came to United States in 2010 for graduate school at Stanford. I did lots of nerdy research in material science engineering. And one of my patent technology had application in diagnostic of type 2 diabetes. So I had the first transition from a researcher to entrepreneur and build and launch my own medical device company, graduate from school, continue run the company, eventually sold it to a large public medical device company, got amazing financial return. That's when I start to so-called went to the dark side, <laughs> start to deploy capital support other founder, and also realize there's a great opportunity to drive for impact, leverage more capital to be able to build a very diverse portfolio, especially at that time, very few VC had a deep tech and healthcare background to support founder in that vertical, not to mention understand the life cycle as a former entrepreneur. So later on, after spending time in other VC firm as a partner in 2015, I really saw the opportunity in the market to start a new firm, 
definitely I heard from journalists, they're like, you are too young. I started my company when I was 21 years old. I started Fusion Fund when I was 25 years old. I heard from journalists, they said, you're 20 years too young to become a venture capitalist, even start your own firm. But I'm like, Silicon Valley is a magical place. Nobody did it before. That's not mean I could not do it. So I still launched Fusion. So far, we did a great job in terms of supporting founder and investing company, and we'll continue strength our network and be able to support more founder. Wow, that's a lot packed into an intro there. That's awesome. Let's try to unpack some of these. So you are tech-driven, right? Like you're looking for deep tech solutions. So talk to us a little bit about that. Why do you start with technology? And also, what stage do you usually get involved in? Yeah, happy to. First, it's definitely related to my personal background and also the team I put together at Fusion. All of us have a strong technical background. It's not only just apply AI data software related. We also have a strong technical background in the hardware sector. When we talk about digital transformation, there's three layer, data collection, data transfer. The last piece is data processing, which people discuss a lot in terms of by AI. But when we're collecting the data, the entrance of the data is actually sensor, it's a hardware layer. When we transfer data, edge computing, network technology is hardware software integration. I think on one side is our background, make us really have a domain expert to look at a company within the deep tech and healthcare sector. Meanwhile, another thing is we saw the upcoming trend, even back in 2016, 2017, I know many VC talk about VC are the one project the future. As a former founder turned VC, we really believe that founder are the one make the future actually happening. So we heard a lot of feedback from the founder, really see the digital transformation is coming up, and determined have also built strong conviction to continue investing in the deep tech and healthcare sector since day one. In terms of stage, also relate to our former entrepreneur background. Early stage is a fun part. That's when we'll be able to really support founder, get engaged and help them export the product market fit, go to market and also support the hyper growth. So our sector, uh, our stage focus is mainly seed, pre-seed. Uh, we also do a little bit series A, but mainly focus on pre-A stage. And within the healthcare sector specifically, since that's your background as a former founder, what do you find to be especially interesting to you right now? Are you someone that's more thesis driven within that particular sector and you're actively looking for companies that fit that or more opportunistic? How do you view particularly the healthcare space given your background? Yeah, I love to talk about healthcare. That's one of my strongest passion. I thought you might. Yeah. People always ask me, oh, what do you think about social impact? I'm like, healthcare is a perfect sector for social impact. You could achieve both financial return and also provide better solution to our bizarre healthcare system. So I would say in general, AI in healthcare is a big sector focus for us. That's also the benefit and also the singularity point we had in the past couple of years. We still need the fundamental microfluidic chip, like medical devices, be able to provide better diagnostic treatment. But meanwhile, leverage the bioinformatic platform, applying AI could help us provide really hyper-personalized, super-accurate diagnostic result and even therapeutic solution. I think that's the future for no matter we talk about precision medicine or just personalize the treatment plan for cancer, heart disease, mental disease, that could be powered by AI, powered by bioinformatic platform. So that's the general area. The second area, especially in the past couple of years, we did lots of researching is femtech. 
Fifty percent of population, huge underserved market. If you look at the funding from NIH and the National Science Foundation, less than fifteen percent goes to research project related to female healthcare. But on the other side, no matter from fertility, pregnancy to eventually menopause, and also some female-related mental disease within aging population. That's a huge problem, and we have the technology to solve the problem, but we don't have enough people to work on transfer the technology to the application. So that's a second area we're really looking at. The last area is go back to the healthcare system itself. I think we always have this triple A problem in the healthcare system: accessibility, affordable, accuracy. And we have over twenty percent of U.S. GDP in the healthcare system. What do we get from this twenty percent U.S. GDP? Now during the COVID period, I think it's really a strong push and the big pressure to the healthcare system in general. From the hospital to the payer to the healthcare service provider, they're more open-minded to integrate a digital solution to help us solve the AAA problem. And you talked about medical devices. Do you also go into therapeutics, biotech, and those areas, or not? I would say traditional therapeutics and biotech. We invest very little, just purely concerned about the timeline. How long would it take for company to exit? That's also something I think founders should consider when they talk to investor. Typically, a fund term is ten years. If the company gonna take ten, fifteen years or twenty years for potential exit, goes through all this complicated clinical trial, a ten year fund term might not be the best fit for them. Even great technology, I need to be practical. I need to generate a return before the end of the fund. But on the other side, I think the new trend we saw in that specific sector is really. Digital life science and digital therapeutics, especially for digital therapeutics related to mental disease treatment. On one side, FDA is getting more up to date in terms of giving approval and also supporting company to go through the whole clinical process. Meanwhile, there's also more acceptance to this digital therapeutics solution. So we're looking at several interesting companies in that sector and potentially allocating more capital there. You and I have talked about a really fun company, so I wonder if it's a good example. And I'm talking about Mojo Vision to showcase, maybe tell us the story and tell us what they do and why you invested, because I think it touches right a lot of the points that you're making. Exactly. On one side, yes, as a venture capitalist, we're thinking about near-term commercialization. So, eighty percent of my portfolio are that type of a company and founder. But meanwhile, also we have fifteen twenty percent allocation to the super frontier tech. The technology is so disruptive that we want to. Be patient and grow together with the company. One of the great example is Mojo Vision, as you mentioned. Just a quick description of what they do: it's a smart contact lens, and also they're doing invisible computing. Maybe a simple analogy: imagine a Google Glass and VR device on a contact lens. They were able to integrate a micro display, micro chip, micro battery into a hard contact lens. When you wear it, everything project. In front of your eye, so that's really the future of no matter you call it virtual reality or mixed reality, and the, the technology is so advanced. Not only there's a industry application, military application. In the future, they have ambitions to potentially replace cell phone to be the ultimate display for our daily interaction with the world. That's also interesting direction for us to think about. What is the future alternative for metaverse? When people discuss about metaverse, it's only about hundred percent virtual. We're gonna see each other, our avatar in the virtual world, talk to each other. 
but with mojo vision with a smart contact lens. For example, now maybe you and Jenny are in the same room and you can see each other in the real life. And you could wear the mojo vision, directly see me and my virtual figure sit next to you and we have a discussion together. So that's the perfect mix of the virtual world with the reality. And meanwhile, we don't have social transparency issue. Many people ask me, oh, why not use VR device? Why not just use the Google Glass like glass device? The challenge is when we meet each other, when we try to build trust, if you know I'm using a device to look at you or look at something else, you don't feel comfortable. But the contact lens is invisible. So it's also help us preserve the social transparency and further the technology advantages enable us to wear it for longer than six hours and eight hours. And this technology is now the science fiction. It already out for commercialization since 2019 and now is moving forward to the consumer approach. I recently tried the latest demo. It was so impressive. Use eye tracking technology. You could directly use all different applications there. So I think the future is here. Sounds like it. That's a very cool concept and love this company. Do they have FDA approval yet? Not yet, but about to have it very soon. So the founder and the whole Mojo team try out the latest demo already. I tried it. I did not put it on top of my eyeball, but I put it very close to my eyes. So be able to use all this application. It's really impressive. They probably have one of the best micro display technology in the world. Not to mention founder Drew Perkin. He's a serial entrepreneur with a several successful billion dollar exit previously. And now he's really dedicated to make something huge. Yeah. And how far away do you think we are from mass consumer adoption of this particular technology or similar technologies? I think probably another five years in mm -hmm. terms of consumer application. Besides tech, I think technology is very mature. The next step is really the cost. When we talk about consumer application, cost of technology, cost of integration is critical. I think that's the major focus for the next step. You talked about funding companies across the U.S. And a lot of people that are based in Silicon Valley, they're like, if I can't drive to it, forget it. So I'm curious, how do you get deal flow? How do you embed in other ecosystems around the U.S. to get deal flow? Yeah, I know what you talk about. There are lots of VC used to say that, oh, we need to make sure the driving distance is within two hours, then we could manage the company. But on the other side, I think we also need to see where the trend is going. Another, the trend I keep talking about digital transformation is not only within the technology sector. There are lots of applied AI digital solutions happen within the traditional industry, which is a huge market. Like insurance tech, insurance automation, it's a $1.7 trillion market. Not to mention healthcare, supply chain, logistics. But if we look at a major player within this more traditional industry, they're now based in Silicon Valley. We always talk to founder, you need to stay close with your customer. Then your customer is not Silicon Valley, why founder has to only based here. I think that's the initial start why we cover the whole United States from day one. So we have 40% of company outside of Silicon Valley. But you're right, if they're not in Silicon Valley, how we maintain the network? We initially start with the founder network, serial entrepreneur. We have a strong founder community work closely with us. And in the past couple of years, we also built a very strong partnership with lots of a local research institute in different cities. For example, National Robotics Engineering Center in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is an amazing community. They have a CMU, they have a University of Pittsburgh, UPMC, great talent foundation, but not too many VC firms based there. And the institution like National Robotics Engineering Center, NRAC, they have a spin-off technology company every year. 
They're also looking for very established industry leader came into the company to be the CEO. So it's not the typical professor spin of company people would imagine. It's very industry savvy, but also strong technical barrier type of companies focused on traditional industry. So we have a great company there. We also was the always the first group of VC to talk to. We're able to invest also great companies through that partnership. Similar partnership we have, for example, with Texas Medical Center, with other research institute in the Austin, in Boston, and also in Salt Lake City. I think within this uh, strong local technology player uh, working closely with us, uh, we'll be able to guarantee when they have an interesting company start to talk to a VC, will be first of the one of the first group. Another benefit we have is we have strong technical background, especially me and my partners. We had experience being of technology, my own technology from research institute. So even they're not ready for fundraising, they want to talk with us to understand what are the best practice, best structure. Meanwhile, we have another network called the CXO network. Now it's leading by my partner, Shane Wang, who is the former CTO of HP. We have 42 CTO from Global 1000 company work closely with us and with our company. So when we have great technical founders spin off from this research institute, they really need help for go to market. We could directly connect them with a strong top-down approach, a CTO level person from their customer base. So back to your personal story that you had mentioned before, obviously took an immense amount of courage and hard work and determination to start your own fund. And congratulations. Again, that's a huge accomplishment. What was that like in starting your first fund to your point at 25 years old? I would love to just hear a little bit more about what that was like, what challenges you faced, how you overcame those advice that you might have to others that are looking to do the same thing. Yeah. Start a new fund is always quite challenging. Meanwhile, with quite a non-conventional background, I'm kind of, I'll joke about I uncheck out the box. I'm like 25 years old, female, minority, immigrant, doing deep tech and healthcare. <laughs> That's definitely not a popular combination in the market at the time. So lots of challenges, but I really treat it as my second startup. And also a great opportunity came up as it's like a building company. What is my strongest differentiation? I look at the market of the VC at that time back in 2015. Very few VC really interested in deep tech and healthcare. I'll have the proper background to look at technology there. And meanwhile, having an operational background as a former entrepreneur really help attract certain type of founder, especially serial entrepreneur. And moreover, now we look at a ratio, more than 40% of the unicorn founder in Silicon Valley, United States right now are immigrant founders. Back in the days, people still don't think immigrant founders are other group that they will be focusing on or they prefer, but now there are more and more VC talk about supporting immigrant founder. But I saw that back in 2015 already, since I went through my journey. Yes, there are lots of challenges and discrimination, but on the other side, this global perspective and also flexibility, immigrant mindset really helped me be persistent enough to drive the company to the end game. So I think all this thing combined together, I saw the unique opportunity. Then just as a startup founder, yes, it's hard, but as long as I have a, such a so-called unfair advantages to start with, it will be a great initiative and great company. Another thing is I also have this vision and motivation, want to change how VC is doing business in this industry. Like we talk about empower traditional sector with technology. Why not empower ourselves? with technology. 
I'm glad that you're going into that because I was going to ask, you're a high achieving individual and there's always kind of motivation behind that. And it's really interesting, I think, to hear from someone like yourself, like what motivates you personally to achieve the things that you have and to pursue obviously this career and sounds like making an impact is important to you. Yeah, it's really important for me. When I was an entrepreneur, I found, okay, that's a really effective way to drive for impact and influence and be able to contribute to the society with a great technology within healthcare sector. But as a VC, there's more we can do in terms of the coverage, diversity, and also build an ecosystem. And also, when I mentioned about the VC industry, now we're having a better diversity within the industry, but back in the days we didn't. <laughs> mm-hmm. And but when we talk about the innovation, I truly believe diversity is critical to innovation. And yes, we could make the surface look nicer to have more people like on the surface, yeah, we have diversity, but we need to have the rule maker, the people who make decision really have the diverse the background. That's a fundamental change, fundamental culture change. And another thing is, if you talk to lots of founders, most of founders complain about the serial entrepreneur. They complain about their past experience with VC. When I start my own VC firm, I have founder friend joke about, Lou, you went to the dark side. You sounds like a shark now. I'm like, why that's the perception? We could have a different perception. An investor and founder could align the interest. We should align the interest because VC are serving as a catalyst to support founder to be successful much faster. That's another thing I really want to change. And I think we achieve that. We are super founder supportive, founder friendly, and understand the life cycle very well. Yes, there are lots of challenges, especially start the first fund, et cetera. But I feel very grateful that first, we got strong differentiation to start with. Second, I got capital actually came to me when I was thinking about fund one. So I have relatively easier start to launch fund one. Once build a track record, fund two, fund three, definitely goes faster. Another thing that's really grateful about the team joining me, I have three other partners. I'm the founder managing partner and all three partners, it joined me since 2016. The youngest one is 11 years older than me. They're well-established individual. They have a great success in their previous career, but they joining me, this newly established smaller VC firm and really believing my vision, really believing the potential here and also help me push the firm to the next level. And did you, when it comes to your startup, did you end up taking VC funding for that? Yes, I took VC funding, not too much. When I sold my company, I own 70%, 72% of my company. People said, oh, that's nice. And I'm like, it's not because I was super smart trying to preserve my own ownership. It's also partially because I had a hard time to raise money. Right. As a founder myself, I had a hard time raising money for many reasons. Like VC don't understand healthcare. They don't like it. They don't like female founder, minority founder. But they still got VC who support me and really help me. Like one of my major investors is Carl Simpson. He is a successful entrepreneur himself. He also teach at the Biodesign program at Stanford. He invests a tons of company, probably have seven or eight IPO himself. He passed away already, but he was the, the one of the earliest investors believing me and really helped me from the beginning. And how did you, back to the question that Jenny was asking, where did you go? So you're starting a new fund, 2015. You haven't had a fund before. You've been an entrepreneur. Where do you go for your first capital? Did you end up, a lot of people start with family offices or high net worth or friends. Where was your start? 
Yeah, my Star Wars was Family Office. I think Family Office they have lots of flexibility. They're also more willing to take risk and be able to think about have some flexibility to try out new stuff. And also at that time, before I start Fusion, I was doing angel investment myself. During that process, I met with other co-investor who some of them were family office. So they asked me, "Okay, what's your mandate? What's your methodology?" And I told them how I look at innovation cycle, start with fundamental tech innovation, tech application, business model. So if you look at in the past forty years, yes, we have a huge buzz with consumer tech, but it's only probably twenty thirty percent of the total innovation we happen we had in the past forty years. It's just a trend come and go. Uh, so I told them why I wanted to focus on deep tech and healthcare. And so far, if I look back my personal portfolio, I in total did 13 company. So far, I got four IPO and five merge acquisitions. So it was a great portfolio to start with. And that also the process, they really recognize my methodology, really trust me, think I know how to do due diligence and how to manage the deep tech and healthcare company and founder. And the life cycle for a tech company, the deep tech company, is very different from a consumer company. They recognize that. They also acknowledge they don't know how to do it. So they actually came to me and said, "You should consider start your own fund. We could support you." So I put in my own money, their money, quickly get fund one start, and also fund two. Majority of the LPR family office, but we start to have an institutional joining us, a fund the fund endowment foundation. And when I did fund three last year or this year, we have fifty percent institutional LP. Awesome. And then, how many companies are you planning to invest in in Fund Three? Yeah, we're thinking about twenty to twenty-five company. Then we have this initial check that's one to three million dollars to lead around the C stage. We also reserve two thirds of the fund for Parada, so we will continue to support the founder in their Series A B stage. I think, especially in the in this year, having reserved Parada allocation from an existing investor is really critical to founder. The market has obviously changed this year with valuation corrections in the public markets and those transitions to the private markets. And usually, the late stage valuations adjust more quickly. So it's great to have fresh capital to invest in this current market because valuations are coming down. Are you seeing that happening in the early stage as well? What's the dynamic there? Yes, it's happened already. We definitely see a huge reset of the multiple and valuation in the earlier stage. In general, it is true. is is definitely a tough year for founder to raise money and consider valuation they could get in the market. But on the other side, the reality is lots of VCs still have dry powder. It just lots of them are trying to reserve capital to support existing portfolio. I'll maybe just play wait and see, pause deployment for now. But they have lots of dry powder. Eventually, they have to deploy. So I think for founder, the good news if they've survived through this year, there'll be more capital waiting for them. And another thing for me and for us, we've been very disciplined on valuation. Even last year, you guys remember how crazy the valuation was. I always tell founder, as a former entrepreneur myself, have a super high valuation at a very early stage is not a good thing. There are lots of consequences, and it just this year the consequences happen way faster. And meanwhile, and also I think even yes, this year is harder to raise money, but might be a really good timing to start a company because I don't think whether easy to raise money should be the most important criteria for fund to de- decide to launch their business. It should be market timing towards to the market and their potential customer in terms of adoption. What we're seeing right now is this crisis mode also push out a large corporate. Look at their problem internally: low margin, low efficiency, and higher cost and lack of labor. What is the alternative? The only solution is technology integration, push with digital transformation. So the integration 
process is much faster. The budget allocated to this technology integration is much bigger. So now it's actually easier to sell, easy to integrate technology solution to the customer while we had a harder time to raise money. So what we saw is lots of great serial entrepreneur, high quality founder, they're starting company right now. The average quality is actually even better compared with last year. And I guess on that note, what other advice do you have for founders? I think for founder now, the first thing is really be super adaptive. Surviving is the most important thing. Like we actually talked with all of our founder at the beginning of this year, told them that make sure you have 18 months of runway and the re- involving how to really adjust the internal cost or potentially adjust the position, how to reallocate the resources. So that's the first thing It's really make sure survive through the cycle and also make sure have enough long runway. But second thing, while you want to have certain length of runway, but also make sure not to compromise too much on the sell side. Because the first half of the game is surviving game, but second half, survivor is the winner can take over the whole market. Much less competition, more concentrated capital, and also much shorter corporate sales cycle. So that's also the suggestion we've been giving to founder in terms of where to prioritize allocating resources capital, probably less on the admin, HR, recruiting, but more on the sales, push on the sales and the success. And, and also beyond that, another thing is also to founder, use this opportunity to really think about which type of investor they should engage at earlier stage. As I mentioned early on, if the investor had a certain reserve for Parada, then when situation like this happen, it would be very easy for founder just to raise an internal round, said, okay, I need 3 million to extend my runway to 20 months, not to compromise sales cycle, versus founder have to spend time to raise money outside. Because outside market right now, the capital available are much less, then the efficiency is lower for fundraising and also valuation won't be ideal. I think that's also go back to founder when they choose early stage investor. What is the most important part? Definitely not valuation. So now I'm going to switch gears to our four standard question segment. We're looking forward to hearing your answers. Our first question is our National Venture Capital Association question. The MVCA advocates for public policy that supports the venture community and the American entrepreneurial ecosystem. If there is one thing that you would change about the VC industry or one policy that you would advocate for, what would it be? Yeah, I think the first thing is the thing I'm doing already. I'm a strong advocate and a supporter to have more female present in the boardroom. I have 13 board seats, like 12 of them, I'm the only woman in the room. It's not only just for diversity, social impact, it's really about being able to bring different perspective to the top level, the decision, uh, where the, the decision being made. And meanwhile, another thing is just think about now this is a different technology trend. Regardless of which type of digital transformation solution we're working on, 50% population are women. And there are so many great opportunities there where we're missing it. And another thing is also be able to bring more global perspective to the boardroom. I know now the political environment is really anti-globalization. But if you look at any great company in the history, they start as a global corporate instead of only US-centric corporate. So I think it's very important to also maintain that mindset in the board level. And the last thing is really about think more about potential data privacy issue related to the any like AI powered company. I know regulation is still undergoing and lots of discussion around there. Regulation always came the last. But in the future, digital 
data going to be our digital asset. It will be the fastest growing asset we have. And as a technology company, we as a major shareholder of the company, how to help the founder prepare them to understand how to control it, how to do better monetization, how to really define the ownership, also make sure they would comply with the future regulation. I think that's the three things I really want to highlight. That was a great answer. Number two is if you weren't a VC and money wasn't a concern, what career would you have? Yeah, I will be a musician. I'm a true musician. I play drum set at the Stanford Marching Band. Shame on me. Awesome. We have a (laughs) very controversial reputation. And also I play piano more on the classical music side since I was a little. I really think music is another really inspiring industry that it's not only just emotional comforting, it's also super powerful too to impact people and be able to really help us connect with each other. And also it's so beautiful. It just, unfortunately, I'm stuck in the tech. I think tech is more effective too. To <laughs> you, can, you can always do both. What <laughs> So what genre would you do? Would you do the classical piano? I mean, drums and piano, those are opposite it's, sides of this. Which, what would your genre, and would you sing? Well, I want to hear more about this musician aspiration. So, so for a piano side, it's more on the classical music. It's like... Okay. Kind of traditional training, etc. I learned drum set when I was in my band during the high school. So mm-hmm. it was rock and roll and jazz. That's my favorite as well. I also found music is a great meditation for me. That's awesome. That's great. Number three is who is someone that you look up to and why? RBG. She's amazing female leader, so inspiring. And no matter what she did, what she represents, who she is, I think that's just a I think not only me, I have many friends just look up to her and the reason is so obvious. I really hope we have more female leader like her. And Absolutely. the word obvious, yeah, we need more female leader definitely right now in this crazy world. Yes. <laughs> Number four is what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? I think the best piece of advice I ever received is the more confident I have for the future, I should have more patient for what I'm doing right now. Because I start my career path relatively earlier compared with others, I always have the sense of urgency. I want to go faster. I want to go faster. But on the other side, I also keep telling myself, build a strong foundation could make my company, my initiative more sustainable. So I was very lucky to hear that suggestion when I was younger. I still have the sense of urgency, but I try to balance it to make sure that it will be a long-term run and it will be the ultimate winner for this long run. I'm going to throw in a last question because I'm curious. Who do you feel has been the most impactful to you? I think it's still my parents. My parents are first generation immigrant, first generation entrepreneur in Inner Mongolia. Mm-hmm. You guys probably never been to Inner Mongolia. It's a beautiful place, but very old fashioned, super conservative. Mm-hmm. I think they were able to start their own career path, not in tech, in the traditional industry, but the spirit. They were super busy. And I saw how they built their business from the scratch, really embedded into my mindset and also gave me the motivation. People always ask, why you're really such have a strong gut to do things? You came to a foreign country, just started. I'm like, I learned it from my parents. That's a great answer. And with that, we want to thank you so much for joining us today. We really enjoyed learning about FU and the Fusion Fund. So thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Great discussion. Thank you. And follow us on Twitter at ProofVC or on our website at proof.vc. Mm-hmm.